Hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. servants of any age, gender, or calling speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. It is Scripture, the mind and will of the Lord himself. It may not be and oftentimes is not in the canon of Scripture, but it is the word of the Lord and a word of wisdom. Hence, this story. Sunday afternoon, 3.15 p.m., April 7th, 1844, in a grove about one quarter mile east of the temple in Nauvoo, Illinois. The occasion was the second day of the General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Joseph Smith, Jr., church president and prophet, stood up and notwithstanding a strong wind blowing, commenced to deliver one of the greatest sermons of his life to an estimated audience of some 10,000 people. He asked for the prayers of the saints and then began to speak without notes. He began by saying, quote, I do not intend to please you with oratory, but with the simple truths of heaven edify you, end quote. And those truths flowed in a profusion of doctrine that is estimated to have lasted more than two hours. The previous day, he had promised that he would prove to his enemies that God was still with him, and surely he was. For no man could know what Joseph knew unless God had taught him. The ideas were simply not of this world. Joseph was the last speaker of the conference, And this talk came to be known as the King Follett Discourse. The sermon was not named for a king, but was intended to remember and honor a Latter-day Saint named King Follett, who had been killed by a falling tub of rock when digging a well near his home in Nauvoo. At the actual funeral days before, Joseph had been asked to speak on Brother Follett's behalf, But for reasons unknown, he had said very little. Well, the family approached him again and asked him if he would take occasion sometime later and honor King Follett. Joseph chose to honor King Follett in a general conference address before the entire church. Now, if you have not read that discourse, I commend it to you highly. It seems altogether fitting to me that Joseph honored King Follett before the entire church and that this address would come to be known after his name. Because you see, in this address, Joseph taught that God is an exalted, perfected man that dwells in yonder heavens and that mere mortals, people like us, ordinary men and women, could become 
given enough time and the grace of God, could become as God is, ordinary men and women, just like King Follett. King Follett never served in any prominent positions in the church, was never an apostle or anything of like a bishop or prophet or anything like that. He was just a good, faithful member of the church who had endured persecution, traveled with the church from place to place, gathered with the saints, and did his duty. He was faithful all the way from Kirtland to Nauvoo. It is as if King Follett, the common ordinary saint, represents all of us and our eternal possibilities outlined in this discourse. Now, four scribes recorded portions of Joseph's sermon. Their accounts were later combined to create as comprehensive a representation of the sermon as can be obtained on this side of the veil. There have been those who have felt that that sermon, Joseph's greatest, should be canonized as scripture, that its truths are so pure and foundational that they should be part of the holy books. Indeed, whether you realize it or not, Latter-day Saints believe and teach the doctrine of that sermon wherein first revealed, even sometimes when they don't know where it came from. The King Follett Discourse represents Joseph Smith at his finest, and yet, so fitting, his enemies ridiculed its precepts while the faithful considered it the greatest they had ever heard. So it is today. That sermon, more than any other, has brought down the wrath of the world upon our shoulders, calling and labeling it as blasphemy, even while its teachings have lifted the sights of the saints to the highest heavens and the greatest possibilities. If you would know who you are, where you came from, and what you can be, how long has it been? since you have studied the King Follett Discourse, delivered 178 years ago this next week. Next story. The Lord once said, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost which shall come upon you. Now behold, he said, this is the spirit of revelation. I have pondered that a great deal. The Lord speaks to me by my thoughts and by my feelings. No wonder it's so hard at times to tell who is speaking, me or him, because the thoughts and the feelings are mine. They sound the same. Thank heavens there are those times when there comes compelling nudges, a push from the Spirit, such as this. In June of 1984, my friend Jim Summers was on his way home from work when he passed a red pickup truck stopped in the middle of the street. He started around the truck when he noticed the driver of the truck kneeling down over a little boy prone in the street. Without thinking, Jim stopped and ran to the boy. He was just a toddler less than two years old and wearing only a diaper. Jim said, this isn't something I normally do. 
I don't like trauma. I'm not trained and I'm not comfortable being around it. Nevertheless, he said, there I was. The boy had been chasing a puppy and the puppy had ran out into the street. The boy followed. He didn't see the pickup and the driver didn't see him. He was struck by the grill on his head and thrown forward. Then the truck ran over him across his chest. Jim said, quote, I still remember the track mark. The boy was ashen and not breathing. He looked dead, end quote. Standing nearby was a young girl screaming for someone to give him a priesthood blessing. Reaching into his pocket, Jim pulled out some oil and asked the boy's name. It's Tyler Abraham, the girl said. Jim anointed the child just as the ambulance pulled up. As he gave the boy a blessing, the EMTs ran up. Jim described the events that followed. Quote, I gave Tyler the blessing and sealed the anointing in the name of Jesus Christ. Just as I took my hands from Tyler's head, he moaned and started to move around. The EMT had his stethoscope on Tyler's chest as I finished the blessing and said at first, there wasn't a heartbeat, but it started as soon as I closed the blessing in the name of Jesus Christ. They quickly loaded him in the ambulance and made the trip to the hospital in a few minutes. Jim said, I walked back to my truck and drove home. I was physically and emotionally drained. I got home a few minutes later and was greeted in the kitchen by my wife who asked, what's the matter? I started to explain, but started weeping and tried to tell her about what had happened. I finally finished the story and laid down to process what had just happened. Later that evening, he said, I drove down to the hospital and met his mother. She was in Tyler's room. I explained who I was and asked how he was doing. She said he was going to be fine. He had no broken bones, but suffered a concussion. The boy had to learn to walk again, but he was home the next day. End of quote. And that EMT, he had been taking the missionary lessons. He later told Jim that the boy was dead when he first got to him. He described the EMT how he felt life come back into Tyler as Jim finished the blessing. The EMT was baptized shortly after. And perhaps the most powerful part of this story is Jim's take on the whole experience. He said, quote, I don't feel that I'm anyone special. I sin. I make mistakes. I'm just a guy that listened to the Spirit as I went by the truck. I'm sure most people would do the same. But I think that's the point, he said. Regular, normal people can make a big difference in the lives of others if we will just listen to the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. End of quote. And just one last thing. About 30 years after the accident, Tyler and Jim were reunited. Tyler is now married 
and with three children and living a happy family life. Jim, thank you for sharing that story. The intent of President Brigham Young and his brethren of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles was to depart Nauvoo in February 1846 and make it to the Rocky Mountains that same season. When they crossed the Mississippi and started west, one of the first, if not the first, to depart as an advance scout was Charles Shumway, who crossed the Mississippi River with his wagons on barges and began the journey west to the mountains. Well, as you may know the story, the crossing of Iowa proved painfully slow and difficult due to weather and road conditions and so forth. President Young and the Saints did not reach the Missouri River until June 1846. And as soon as they got there, then came the recruitment of the Mormon battalion to serve in the United States Army in their war with Mexico. With the loss of some of their best and strongest men and the lateness of the season, it was decided that the Saints would make winter quarters on the west bank of the Missouri River and continue on to the Rocky Mountains the following season. However, several families had been sent on ahead by President Young to try and reach the mountains that same season. Among them was Charles Shumway and his family. Now, it was October 1846, and these hardy pioneers, Brother Shumway and others, were camped among the Pawnee Indian tribe on the Loop Fork River in Nebraska. As they were camped there, one night there came a knock at the door of Brother Shumway's cabin. A voice called out, Shumway. Two men entered the cabin with a message from President Brigham Young. Quoting, For all companies camped at the Pawnee villages to move immediately back to winter quarters. Reliable intelligence has been received from mountain men and from knowledgeable Indian sources that the Sioux are preparing to again attack the Pawnee tribes, striking first at the missions, the government station, and the fort. There is no time to spare. They may strike at day's first light tomorrow morning. End of quote. Charles and the others immediately sprang into action, loading their wagons and yoking up their oxen. Long before daybreak, they were on their way east back to winter quarters. They had gone about 12 miles where they found a high eminence and stopped to rest their teams. Looking back to the west, they saw black clouds of billowing smoke rising above the horizon. Quoting, the Sioux had attacked, and the fort and all the rest of the buildings on both banks of the river were on fire. The entire Pawnee campsite where the Shumways had been was a fire. End of quote. In later years, when remembering the close encounter with the warring Indian tribes, Charles and his wife would tell their family that this experience had taught them 
to listen to the words of the prophet of God and follow without question, end of quote. My dear friends, I don't know much, but I have a conviction that if we will listen to the living prophets, seers, and revelators, we will have no need to fear. We will be prepared for whatever comes and that we will come out in the end on the winning side. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.